Section twenty seven of the Letters of Jane Austen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letter sixty two to Miss Frances Austen. Chawton, Friday, November eighteenth, eighteen fourteen. I feel quite as doubtful as you could be, my dearest Fanny, as to when my letter may be finished, for I can command very little quiet time at present. But yet I must begin, for I know you'll be glad to hear as soon as possible, and I really am impatient myself to be writing something on so very interesting a subject, though I have no hope of writing anything to the purpose. I shall do very little more, I dare say, than say over again what you have said before. I was certainly a good deal surprised at first, as I had no suspicion of any change in your feelings, and I have no scruple in saying that you cannot be in love. My dear Fanny, I am ready to laugh at the idea, and yet it is no laughing matter to have had you so mistaken as to your own feelings. And with all my heart, I wish I had cautioned you on that point when first you spoke to me. But though I did not think you then much in love, I did consider you as being attached in a degree quite sufficiently for happiness, as I had no doubt it would increase with opportunity, and from the time of our being in London together, I thought you really very much in love. But you certainly are not at all. There is no conceding it. What strange creatures we are! It seems as if your being secure of him had made you indifferent. There was a little disgust, I suspect, at the races, and I do not wonder at it. His expressions, then, would not do for one who had rather more acuteness, penetration, and taste than love, which was your case. And yet, after all, I am surprised that the change in your feeling should be so great. He is just what he ever was, only more evidently and uniformly devoted to you. This is all the difference. How shall we account for it? My dearest Fanny, I am writing what will not be of the smallest use to you. I am feeling differently every moment, and shall not be able to suggest a single thing that can assist your mind. I could lament in one sentence and laugh in the next, but as to opinion or counsel, I am sure that none will be exacted worth having from this letter. I read yours through the very evening I received it, getting away by myself. I could not bear to leave off when I had once begun. I was full of curiosity and concern. Luckily your Aunt C. dined at the other house, therefore I had not to manoeuvre away from her, and as to anybody else, I do not care. Poor dear Mr. A. Oh, dear Fanny! Your mistake has been one that thousands of women fall into. He was the first young man who attached himself to you. That was the charm, and most powerful it is. Among the multitudes, however, that make the same mistake with yourself, there can be few indeed who have so little reason to regret it. His character and his attachment leave you nothing to be ashamed of. Upon the whole, what is to be done? You have no inclination for any other person. His situation in life, family, friends, and above all his character, his uncommonly amiable mind, strict principles, just notions, good habits, all that you know so well how to value. All that is really of the first importance. Everything of this nature pleads his cause most strongly. You have no doubt of his having superior abilities. He has proved it at the university. He is, I dare say, such a scholar as your agreeable idle brothers would ill bear a comparison with. Oh, my dear Fanny, 
the more I write about him, the warmer my feelings become, the more strongly I feel the sterling worth of such a young man, and the desirableness of your growing in love with him again. I recommend this most thoroughly. There are such beings in the world, perhaps one in a thousand, as the creature you and I should think perfection, where grace and spirit are united to worth, where the manners are equal to the heart and understanding. But such a person may not come in your way, or if he does, he may not be the eldest son of a man of fortune, the near relation of your particular friend, and belonging to your own county. Think of all this, Fanny. Mr. A. has advantages which we do not often meet in one person. His only fault, indeed, seems modesty. If he were less modest, he would be more agreeable, speak louder, and look impudenter. And is not it a fine character of which modesty is the only defect? I have no doubt he will get more lively and more like yourselves, as he is more with you. He will catch your ways, if he belongs to you. And as to there being any objection from his goodness, from the danger of his becoming even evangelical, I cannot admit that. I am by no means convinced that we ought not all to be evangelicals, and am at least persuaded that they who are so from reason and feeling must be happiest and safest. Do not be frightened from the connection by your brothers having most wit. Wisdom is better than wit, and in the long run will certainly have the laugh on her side. And don't be frightened by the idea of his acting more strictly up to the precepts of the New Testament than others. And now, my dear Fanny, having written so much on one side of the question, I shall turn round and entreat you not to commit yourself farther, and not to think of accepting him unless you really do like him. Anything is to be preferred or endured rather than marrying without affection, and if his deficiencies of manner, etc., etc., strike you more than all his good qualities, if you continue to think strongly of him, give him up at once. Things are now in such a state that you must resolve upon one or the other, either to allow him to go on as he has done, or whenever you are together, behave with a coldness which may convince him that he has been deceiving himself. I have no doubt of his suffering a good deal for a time, a great deal when he feels that he must give you up. But it is no creed of mine, as you must be well aware, that such sort of disappointments kill anybody. Your sending the music was an admirable device. It made everything easy, and I do not know how I could have accounted for the parcel otherwise. For though your dear papa most conscientiously hunted about till he found me alone in the dining-parlour, your aunt C. had seen that he had a parcel to deliver. As it was, however, I do not think anything was suspected. We have heard nothing fresh from Anna. I trust she is very comfortable in her new home. Her letters have been very sensible and satisfactory, with no parade of happiness, which I liked them the better for. I have often known young married women write in a way I did not like in that respect." You will be glad to hear that the first edition of Mansfield Park is all sold. Your Uncle Henry is rather wanting me to come to town to settle about a second edition, but as I could not very conveniently leave home now, I have written him my will and pleasure, and unless he still urges it, shall not go. I am very greedy, and want to make the most of it, but as you are much above caring about money, I shall not plague you with any particulars. The pleasures of vanity are more within your comprehension and you will enter into mine at receiving the praise which every now and then comes to me, through some channel or other. Saturday Mr. Palmer spent yesterday with us, and is gone off with Cassie this morning. 
We have been expecting Miss Lloyd the last two days, and feel sure of her to-day. Mr. Knight and Mr. Edward Knight are to dine with us, and on Monday they are to dine with us again, accompanied by their respectable host and hostess. Sunday. Your papa had given me messages to you, but as they are unnecessary, as he writes by this post to Aunt Louisa. We had a pleasant party yesterday, at least we found it so. It is delightful to see him so cheerful and confident. Aunt Cass and I dine at the great house to-day. We shall be a snug half-dozen. Miss Lloyd came, as we expected yesterday, and desires her love. She is very happy to hear of your learning the harp. I do not mean to send you what I owe Miss Hare, because I think you would rather not be paid beforehand. Yours very affectionately, Jane Austen. Letter 63 Chawton, November 21st, 1814 My dear Anna, I met Harriet Benn yesterday. She gave me her congratulations, and desired they might be forwarded to you, and there they are. The chief news from this country is the death of old Mrs. Dormer. Mrs. Clement walks about in a new black velvet pelisse lined with yellow, and a white bobbin net veil, and looks remarkably well in them. I think I understand the country about Hendon of your description. It must be very pretty in summer. Should you know from the atmosphere that you were within a dozen miles of London? Make everybody attend and admire Mansfield Park. Your affectionate aunt, J. A. Letter 64 Hans Place, November 28, 1814 My dear Anna, I assure you we all came away very much pleased with your visit. We talked of you for about a mile and a half with great satisfaction, and I have been just sending a very good report of you to Miss Ben, with a full account of your dress for Susan and Maria. We were all at the play last night to see Miss O'Neill and Isabella. I do not think she was quite equal to my expectations. I fancy I want something more than can be. I took two pocket-handkerchiefs, but had very little occasion for either. She is an elegant creature, however, and hugs Mr. Young delightfully. I am going this morning to see the little girls in Keppel Street. Cassie was excessively interested about your marriage when she heard of it, which was not until she was to drink your health on the wedding day. She asked a thousand questions, in her usual manner, what he said to you and what you said to him. If your uncle were at home, he would send his best love, but I will not impose any base fictitious remembrances on you. Mine I can honestly give, and remain your affectionate aunt, J. Austen. Letter 65 Hans Place, Wednesday my dear Anna, I have been very far from finding your book an evil, I assure you. I read it immediately, and with great pleasure. I think you are going on very well. The description of Dr. Griffin and Lady Helena's unhappiness is very good, and just what was likely to be. I am curious to know what the end of them will be. The name of Newton Prize is really invaluable. I never met with anything superior to it. It is delightful, and one could live on the name of Newton Priors for a twelve-month. Indeed, I think you get on very fast. I only wish other people of my acquaintance could compose as rapidly. I am pleased with the dog scene, and with the whole of George and Susan's love, but am more particularly struck with your serious conversations. 
They are very good throughout. St. Julian's history was quite a surprise to me. You had not very long known it yourself, I suspect, but I have no objection to make to the circumstance, and it is very well told. His having been in love with the aunt gives Cecilia an additional interest with him. I like the idea. A very proper compliment to an aunt. I rather imagine, indeed, that nieces are seldom chosen, but out of compliment to some aunt or other. I dare say Ben was in love with me once, and would never have thought of you, if he had not supposed me dead of scarlet fever. Yes, I was in a mistake as to the number of books. I thought I had read three before the three at Chawton, but fewer than six will not do. I want to see dear Belle Griffin again, and had you not better give some hint of St. Julian's early history in the beginning of the story? We shall see nothing of Streatham while we are in town, as Mrs. Hill is to lie in of a daughter. Mrs. Blackstone is to be with her. Mrs. Heathcote and Miss Big are just leaving. The latter writes me word that Miss Blackford is married, but I have never seen it in the papers, and one may as well be single if the wedding is not to be in print. Your affectionate aunt, J. A. End of section 27